Welcome to Lockbox, a podcast providing real estate professionals with action items for success. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm going to be your host. I'm the founder of two real estate marketing and tech companies, Steezy.Digital and Realnurture.io. In this podcast, you'll learn from top 1% real estate and mortgage brokers the exact secrets to their success. Welcome to Lockbox. Welcome to the Lockbox Podcast. My guest today is Michael Kelchuski, right? Kelchuski? That was close. Yeah, you got uh, it. You got it. <laughs> I got the ch. Yes, he has an interesting last name, but if you type it into Google, he comes right up. He is a top real estate broker on the East Coast, and uh, I'm excited to have this conversation today. Thanks for coming on. You're welcome. Yeah, I uh, appreciate the invite. I look forward to uh, this conversation as well, my friend. Yeah. So why don't you tell our listeners who you are and where you're from? Well, my name is uh, Michael Kalshaski. I am a real estate broker, currently live in Delaware. Most people probably have no idea where that is, but our president is from Delaware. So I think it's going to be on the map a little bit more than most people would have ever thought about this state. But I live uh, about, I don't know, 20 minutes, 10 miles south of Philadelphia, cover from Virginia to New Jersey. Uh, that's my area of practice, which sounds like a law, like a large area, but you know, we're not in California. Um, there's states that are all around us. In fact, from my apartment window, I can see New Jersey. So it's very advantageous if you really want to go forward with real estate and take it by the horns, become licensed in multiple states just so that you can kind of have this large geographical area. And it kind of helps like if things start to kind of fall in Jersey, you can go into Maryland or Delaware. Pennsylvania. So it's kind of a, a strategy for some to kind of hedge themselves against any disruptions, which is, as we know, in 2020, you know, things can go awry very quickly. So, you know, for that instance, um, we were shut down in Pennsylvania. There was no real estate for three months. And I was like, fortunate, fortuitously, I could work in Jersey under CDC guidelines, of course, Delaware, and part in Maryland as well. So it's it's like, you know, the strategy really is to kind of, you know, give yourself some avenue for these different areas because they all are all different sub-markets. But yeah, I work in those specific states, been doing it about eight years, fell into this industry due to a job loss. I was laid off. There wasn't a lot of opportunity local. Uh, this was, you know, think kind of think back to the 2012, 2008 situation. You know, I graduated into the middle of one of the worst economic recessions possible. And yep. even with a college degree, there wasn't a lot of jobs. And I mean, I worked in a restaurant, <laughs> I sold landscaping. I was trying to kind of figure out my life. I mean, my parents... College out. degree and you're doing landscaping and working in restaurants. Okay. Yeah. And I was like, this isn't like really what I envisioned. And I didn't really <laughs> think much about real estate either. And I was like, I didn't think this was a, a viable career choice. I, you know, I think we all have impressions of like real estate agents and I didn't think that I could ever be one or had any interest, but fell into it, you know, took the exam, did really well initially and just kept throwing the chips in, just reinvesting CapEx into the business. And, you know, here I am. All right. Love it. And obviously being licensed in multiple states has helped you a lot. So anyone on the East Coast, that's a, a big recommendation. Of course, in California, we have, you know, the equivalent of like 10 Eastern states of, of coastline to go sell in. So uh, yeah, I, over here, you just need the one license and you can serve so many areas, but that totally makes sense on the East Coast. I did yeah. see that you are a surfer. So have you done <laughs> any international surf trips recently? I not recently. Um, I have been down in Central America. Um, as a kid, I went to California, went surfing a few times, uh, Hawaii. Sure. 
I think once this COVID is over, I've been eyeing like a Bali trip. I mean, I'm goofy yep. footed, so the lanes and the laughs, like I would die for that. And I salivate, like on Instagram, I follow like, you know, certain like individuals and channels. And I'm just like, man, he's like left-hand point breaks. He's like, you know, purling barrels and, you know, water's like 75 degrees. It's so, so you're, you're going to be so. super jealous. I lived in Bali the last two winters. Oh, man. Lived there, right. surfed every day. It's four to six every day. And then sometimes it's like 18 foot. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. It's just, there's not only, you know, amazing rock reef and beach break that's much more punchy and consistent than most other places in the world. But also there's those points like Uluwatu and, uh, you know, Nusa, Padang. Like there's so many places. It's just a surfing Mecca. It's amazing there. Yeah, culture is there too. I mean, food, yep. people. I mean, it yep. hits like all Love the it. nine. So it's like, you know, even if you like bring someone and there's that, you know, your lady friend or whomever, like is not a surfer. Yeah. Oh, well, there's temples to visit. Like there's cool stuff there's there. There's yoga. The food's yeah. amazing. It's always yeah. hot. You can go tanning. Like, you know, basically everybody's in their 20s and 30s doing like digital marketing or something entrepreneurial and living their best life. So it's yeah. an amazing place. Uh, highly yeah. recommend it. I might not come back. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to. It's hard to. But especially real estate, right? You're pretty location-based. So uh, you'd have to have some pretty amazing systems in place. I see that you have a digital marketing background or specialty. It was mentioned a couple times throughout your bios online. So, you know, what are you doing right now with digital marketing that kind of separates you from other agents or other brokerages? Well, when I was a kid, I didn't want a job obviously. So I had some friends that were running affiliate campaigns. And, you know, think back, this is like the early 2000s, like back in the day, emails were sending out could do very well quickly. And that really introduced me to internet marketing at the time. Now it's called digital. But I had this whole kind of background of uh, affiliate marketing, you know, landing pages, SEO, which is incredibly imperative. And when I first um, started in the real estate, I kind of sat back and was like, wait a minute, like, this is like what it really is. It's all primarily a digital marketing um, kind of, a, of an opposition a proposition. So I took my skills with, you know, I guess SEO and some other like kind of digital um, elements and just ran with it. But in terms of what am I doing to execute things for clients? Um, I look at the listing. I've got a pretty big one coming up uh, here in about a week. And I, well, it's a little weird market, but I, I think this would, would do well from an international clientele, perhaps, or maybe more regional. So it's like I try to figure out how can we put the advertisement or we can throw the line out if we're going to analogize to phishing to the appropriate individuals through omni-channel marketing, as you know what that probably means. Yes. Basically hitting all of the areas where these, these listings are going to go. And it's not just typing it into the MLS and letting it syndicate on like Zillow and Trulia. Like there's other like Jedi mind tricks and things that we'll do, um, maybe create specific landing pages, have those propagate in certain areas that I think would be relevant too. So I look at the specific listing and I will try to hypothesize who's the end user. Where is that individual going to be buying for? Am I going to just do it on social media? Am I going to put an ad in a certain regional city? Because I think Delaware might be on the radar now, someone from Manhattan. So I could start putting ads in Manhattan and say, hey, these taxes are low. I'm 100 miles from Manhattan, basically. Um, that's a two-hour drive. to easy train career. You can buy a house that would, would is probably five times less 
in Delaware if you can deal with the commute or want to move here. So I just look at the asset or the property and kind of figure out a specific, you know, digital campaign. Um, that's probably what my unique sales proposition would be if I'm going to kind of pitch a client. I would just show them different things that I've done, like Google my listings, Google some other ones, see where these are propagating with, um, see how things are converting and just show them like how important it is to really throw a very wide net so that these individuals can see this listing and ultimately be converted for a sale. Yeah, that makes sense. And something that we've been doing, obviously, Steezy Digital is one of my companies. We offer branding, advertising, and consulting to top 1% real estate and mortgage brokers. And a lot of what we've been doing in COVID is work-life play. We're promoting the fact that people don't have to commute anymore as much, right? A lot of 20th century businesses that would never allow remote work have now accepted it because they were mandated to and they realized that productivity didn't really drop all that much or it actually increased for their remote workers. So now all of a sudden the people that were living in the urban area or the rural area and driving to the city for work, now they don't have to do that, right? And so now they could maybe live in a more desirable area and we can market to that. We can market to people leaving California. We can do all kinds of stuff in the digital space that frankly, it's harder to do with print or or other types of traditional media. So that makes total sense. And I'm glad that you have that type of marketing focus as well as, you know, the acumen to put some of those things together. You mentioned landing pages and, you know, not just syndicating the listing in the MLS and okay, that's it, right? You take many more steps after that to then go market it online. So really glad to hear that. So it's like, basically, I will create a a specific property website, content marketing, make sure that hits and it starts to get ranked um, in the search engines, and then take that specific property page, propagate that landing page out so that individuals can see it can start funneling things, create a sales funnel, might try to have a property in the media. That's great for inbound marketing. So you apply an inbound marketing strategy to a specific listing. That's really what I like to do nice. for specific properties. And you know, you have to, you know, it's got to be the right one. And, and that's really what I like doing for specific listings. Wow, that makes sense. And do you have help with that, or do you do all that yourself? I have a personal assistant, like like a part time, and I use uh, like kind of virtual assistants as well to kind of help delegate it to because it gets too burdened, like all the administration and, and things of that nature. But no, I do do a little bit of have a little bit of assistance, fortunately. No, absolutely. And that's the name of the game is leverage systems and putting great people in place to uh, either create those systems or manage them. Right. And so I can go surf in Bali. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So, how have sports and early entrepreneurial ventures helped you in real estate? You know, I saw that not only surfing, but you grew up playing baseball and then you uh, started a few lemonade stands. So, you know, how has that helped you when it comes to real estate? I think the sports helped from a teamwork perspective. Um, As you know, you mentioned you can't be a total solopreneur, it just doesn't scale. Right. I mean, real estate agents, brokers, whatever, wear many hats. And it's like, you know, we need to focus on our client and make customer service happy. In fact, on my whiteboard, customer service, because you have to keep that in your mind. Always think of the customer. And, you know, Bezos with that whole Amazon kind of philosophy, he really hones in on that. And ultimately, your customers are going to be what, you know, make or break your business. So. I think the teamwork element really helped that I learned from the different sports uh, teachers you've got. 
uh, teaches you initiative. Um, it teaches you never to fail and even surfing. I mean, it takes a long time to learn how to surf. It's not like, Hey, yes. let's go paddle up and surf. You have to go to the gym every day. If you really want to surf um, you have to train for it. You have to be able to hold your breath and you have to be in good peak uh, physical condition. So, you, you know, it keeps you in line that saying, if you want to be a surfer for your whole life, stay in the gym. In fact, I got Robert August signed little thing up there from Costa Rica to stay in shape. Cause you know, he's in his like eighties now, but that guy, still rips the longboard and you know he kept, yeah he kept on like a straight keel you know didn't damage his body too much but like that that whole mindset and philosophy it's like you know don't ever give up use a team really spins well or is a very applied well to business or enterprise in terms of you know salesmanship i just had a knack for it i don't know some people have personalities and it's like you know um are able to become affable to develop rapport and i've always found myself ability just to jump into a conversation kind of like we're doing yeah to start like having an interview you know and this is what you do when you're with a client or in business no matter what culture you want to find a common ground to reach consensus and develop rapport so i really love and appreciating it working internationally because you see the different perspectives of these individuals. But I think that the initial salesmanship, um, that might have just been me being a weird kid. And I don't know, I had business in my mind. I wish someone would have really told me this when I was younger. I probably would have saved some time and some money, but uh, <laughs> you know, here we are. But you know, I think the teamwork is great. The initial salesmanship uh, really gave me some insight into entrepreneurship at an early age, um, which I culcated and developed it into this, you know, brokerage uh, that I'm formulating now. No, that totally makes sense. And the teamwork aspect as well as just the entrepreneurial aspect. I am curious, were your parents entrepreneurial? No, not at all. I guess my, my no, no, my yes, my stepfather's a surgeon, dad is an engineer, mother's a nurse, but no, I I don't know. I mean, it was just, just me, but it was funny because like he always said I would probably be a banker and I didn't really have an interest in finance. Now I do as like an adult, I'm thinking like, you know, investment and finances like really interest me. You see a library behind me. I've, my whole apartment is basically a library and I, I read all kinds of different books and things, but finance right. didn't really interest me until I was like an older, older adult. But I know there was nothing pushed into me for business. It was it's just something I perhaps genetically had a propensity for and, uh, you know, was able to leverage it throughout my life. And uh, like I said, I had no interest in business. This kind of just fell in my lap. And, you know, here I am. <laughs> there you go. Well, you're very innovative. And I say that because you offered a home for sale where a buyer <laughs> could pay in cryptocurrency. Is that right? Yeah, this was like three years ago. Um, and this was like before like Bitcoin really took off. And I was pitching this idea. It took me a while to figure to find an attorney that would like agree with me on this because it's like, you know, I was in a broker at the time and like I have like, you know, brokerage and all these legalities and things of that nature. As you know, we're, we're transacting real property and I, have, I was a licensee at the time. So I had to convince yeah. them. I'm like, hey, like this is bona fide a means of payment. Um, How can we do this legally? So we were able to figure that out and able to kind of present it from a marketing perspective. But it blew up. I remember I emailed one reporter and then it got picked up by the AP somehow. Like the so next, I didn't really, I, this was not like planned. I, I'm just being completely, I didn't plan this at all. It kind of just like went wild. But the next morning, Fox News was calling me. They showed up at my place of work. 
the owner of the company was like, hey, like calling me like, really, like there's news reporters here. It's like, we need to have like a, a policy for journalists to discuss. And I, I didn't really know what was going on at the time, but it went viral. Um, and the house was sold, fortunately. But, you know, Bitcoin has always interested me from a financial payment system. And uh, I've dealt with international buyers, as I mentioned. And the problem is, is like if they're out of the SWIFT system, which is a basically a payment system run by the U.S. government. And yep. it's very challenging to transfer money from other countries and things. So I wanted to kind of open up the real estate to internationally. And I was like, well, how can we like figure out a, a very seamless way to transmit value um, across international borders? And I was like, Bitcoin, let's do it. You know, and yeah. it's legal, you know, KYC, this isn't like some shady, like enterprise, we can do it with like legit companies that, you know, yeah. they know their client, you know, it's all legal, yada, yada. So that was like my idea, but um, you know, it's picked up a little bit. Um, I know now three years later, it, it's like completely blown up. And I mean, you know, I was introduced to Bitcoin when I was in like, it was, I think it was like 2012 and, I saved some coins. I mean, I'm not going to lie, but I, I probably should have, you know, I guess a billionaire probably if I'm looking at the numbers now, but I, I dropped that ball, unfortunately. But that was like my idea. I just was, wanted to open up the market and make these properties accessible to the masses. And that's really what Bitcoin is. It's a financial system to the democratization of a financial system so that people like in Africa or in Asia that don't have bank accounts can all of a sudden have self-host a wallet. They can you know, start saving in Bitcoin. They can buy things with it and they can transfer right. it uh, anywhere in the world. So I, that's what was really cool to me. And I wanted to link like real estate with Bitcoin. And that's kind of what I've been doing for the past few years. That's so interesting. Have you done more transactions with Bitcoin since then? There's been a few interests, but nothing as okay. magnitude. No, no, just that was it, kind it. of. It wasn't a one and done, but it was like nothing uh, beyond that has has, has fully materialized. At this point. Well, you proved the concept, and that's you. You know, you were a trailblazer in that sense. I bet yeah. that buyer. I was, I guess I would say I bet that seller is happy they took Bitcoin, especially if they kept it, because in 2017. Yeah, we had some interest and then there was a little spike, like I think late that year, early 2018. But then now it's up, you know, from three or four thousand a coin to 50,000 a coin. So that house that they sold for X amount could have potentially gone up 10 or 15 times that lump sum. Now they probably reinvested it back into real estate or did some something else with it. But the potential with that, right? It's such a rapidly increasing in value currency. So it's really interesting rather than paying in dollar, which is actually suffering from inflation and the government printing more money and the reduction of buying power, you could essentially trade real property with currency that is actually increasing in value. It's kind of interesting. It, and it's instantaneous. I mean, think of like the protocols for purchasing a like real property. I mean, we're doing mortgages now with cryptocurrency. You know, think of this new system that's being created. Um, I was working with a company in Europe and they're doing um, loans on cryptocurrency now and they're going to wow. start underwriting mortgages. So yeah, it's like a new finance. We're in like the kind of the nascent period, but like I, you know, maybe I saw this a few years before a few people, but you know, I just saw the potential in, in cryptocurrency and like how it's, it's a new financial system that can really like help everyone. And I mean, you know, we're, we're probably in the general same age. So I saw like the whole, you know, Occupy Wall Street movement. I saw the big yep. banks bailed out, we couldn't, or I couldn't find a job. So, I mean, you know, there's a, a whole 
understanding of a lot of problems in our society. And I, and I think even if you read Satoshi Nakamoto's white paper, the guy who invented or plural person, whomever invented Bitcoin, they really presenting a financial system um, that could really empower the world. And that's what we will really want to do. And you mentioned like deflation and inflation. There's only going to be 21 million Bitcoins, but that's fact. It's like the endless amount of dollars are just going to keep getting printed out, printed out, printed out. It's like net present value. That dollar you have today is not worth as much as the dollar tomorrow. So we're in a really weird period. And I think COVID really um, maybe sped things up. But I mean, I remember on forums like Bitcoin talk, like, you know, geez, like 10 years ago, everyone was like, this is going to be the billions of dollars. And I did drink the Kool-Aid a little bit, but like I kind of got I backed away from it. And now I'm kicking myself. I mean, I knew a guy who had a house that was just set up for, for mining Bitcoins. And wow. uh, you know, I haven't spoken to him in a few years, but I hope he's on a yacht right now. I really do. He's a good guy. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, I'm like, I hope you got like a couple hundred a billion dollars. You might be a billionaire right now, honestly, because literally he was yeah. he was in this like when it first came out as a software engineer. So Jim, if you're watching this, you know, hope you're doing well, my friend. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I think if you had you know two thousand Bitcoin, if I'm doing the math right, and at fifty thousand a coin, then that would be a billion. But I might be doing. I might be carrying the zero wrong. But yeah. anyway, we're talking about some futuristic stuff here, and I'm curious. You know, Tesla reinvented the car buying experience. You know, if, when I purchased my second Tesla, I uh, pre-ordered online, picked everything out, put you know a little down payment. Now it's a hundred bucks. It used to be twenty five hundred. So I swiped a credit card essentially. They assemble my vehicle, and then it shows up two weeks later, or you go pick it up at the dealership. It's essentially contactless. No more four hours at the dealership, you know, trying to get financing and do all this stuff. And it's just, it's seamless. It's done. It's super quick and it's amazing. And obviously Teslas are the best car ever made. But what do you think that relates to? How do you think that relates to the real estate industry? You know, there are companies that are attempting to replace the agent and we don't have to name names, but what do you think the real estate transaction will look like by 2030? You know, do you think it's going to be mostly automated? Do you think agents are going to be a factor? How, like, where do you think this is going? Well, you know, I, I think about this frequently. I mean, I figured out I've done something like uh, I've been playing around a little bit independently. I mean, you can create the totality of a real estate transaction on a blockchain with all of the recordation of the data. Um, that's not anything that's that's new. Consumer psychology. I mean, if you sell residential sales, I mean, you take a first time home buyer out. You have to guide these individuals throughout the whole process. Go through a home inspection. Get you know, feel the property. Is there parking? You know, the financing element. So I, I don't think we're there yet. I don't think it's going to happen in um, ten years. I think eventually, maybe like Gen Z or below might go for it. But you know, we're seeing like it's not the technology is not there. It's just the individuals and their comfort level. And it's like, yes, I can buy a car online, but you might want to drive through, take a test drive, or things of that nature. And well, you know, yeah, think, yeah. And that's the thing. It's like the end user is probably the biggest challenge and impediment to the, to the sale at this point. But yes, we can do a complete a transaction digitally. But the problem is title records are still pieces of paper in most countries, or most counties, I should say. Like literally, there's books of deed or title records that trace back hundreds of years. And it's such an arcane system that would have to be digitized. And we're thinking this across 50 states. So you might have case examples, um, proof of concepts in certain states, but that presupposes that the title records are digital. Big, big, big crux. 
mortgage financing. Think about it. These lenders use these like 1970s, 80s technology still. So it's like, how do we like synchronize all of the domains? It's possible, but we're not there yet. We got to have the big banks on board. You have to have the government on board and you have to have the state regulating bodies on board. Cause a lot of them, like, you know, I'm a broker, you know, you might be as well too. It's like, I would like, uh, depending upon the state, like I have like statutory fiduciary duties. And no matter like, you know, if that person doesn't use an agent, there's still going to be a broker or an attorney at some point, you know, officiating this transaction. And it's like, is the attorney or the broker comfortable in doing that? Because guess what? If something goes derails on that transaction, they're going to go right to that person. Like, oh, I never saw the house. I bought it online. And that's, is that going to stand up in court? I don't know. It hasn't been tested yet. So I think like yep. there's some like legal hurdles. It's not technology. I mean, that's easy. I mean, you can set up a, you know, a D app for on Ethereum, Ethereum and like a network and create like a system that would uh, specifically uh, facilitate an online sale. That's not a complexity. It's like the consumer psychology and linking all of the domains required from the sale. And then I think the biggest hurdles are going to be title and financing, ranging inspections, repairs, things of that nature. That That's what's the challenge. All the things. Yeah, because it's like, I mean, I have to guide somebody. Hey, Mike, what do I ask on this repair report? I'm like, well, you typically ask for material defects. There are things that are really significantly wrong. And if there's no one really helping them with that and that they don't like trust, you know, their uncle is going to come in. Their parents are going to come and say, hey, you have to ask for that carpet to be changed to pink or whatever color. And they're like, well, that's not typically what happens in a real estate transaction. So I think there's like right. a whole familiarity that has to happen. And the paradigm will shift at some point. I mean, like who goes to a bookstore anymore? It's like the whole Amazonification of everything. So I, I, it's going to happen at some point in our lifetimes, but it's not five years. It's not 10, but like I'm hedging myself against it, to be completely honest with you. I mean, that's why I'm looking in these large areas and getting brokerage licenses because it's like, look, I see the runnings on the wall. I may have dabbled in the technology. I may understand the proof of concept. And if the light switched, I'm just going to position myself to kind of you know execute that plan. I mean, it will happen at some point. But again, it's the psychology of the individuals and going through the whole sales cycle and the process, which we have to overcome. And when that happens, I don't know. Yeah, you mentioned a lot of great points there. A lot of things that other guests actually haven't touched on, such as the title not being digital, you know, something as simple as that, just holding up the whole process. But what I gathered from your response is that real estate agents are still essential for the foreseeable future. You're not only in an agency relationship representing the buyer or the seller with their best interest in mind, with a fiduciary responsibility, but you're also creating and fostering that ability to negotiate about a real piece of property. Mm -hmm. And that I think is the biggest thing. By the way, I agree with you. I think real estate agents are still going to be here for a very long time. And that's why my companies, even though they're marketing and tech companies, they're not here to replace the agent. They're here to empower the agent with technology so that we can embrace it to serve our customers better. And with that in mind, then we're creating the ability to negotiate. Because at the end of the day, a real estate transaction is a negotiation between buyer and seller, facilitated by the agents, right? Well, if a single company, a monopoly, is valuing the home, writing up the contracts, selling the home, purchasing the home, doing everything, where's the negotiation in that? There is none. And here's the thing. How are they valuing the home? An appraiser is licensed in the specific state. And penalized by felony. If they yeah. don't follow one of three valuation methods, right? Yeah. It's a, and like, 
hey, the ball's going to drop at some point. I mean, we all know which company we're still speaking about and the stock right. is going like to the moon. But like, I'm all about risk management as a broker, as you are as a business person. And I'm thinking like, what could potentially go wrong with the situation? Am I protected? What they do is fine, um, or that you know how you conduct yourself and things. But I think that is a huge liability. And even um, you know, if you want to offer ancillary services to a client, you have to disclose everything. Especially mortgage, there's conflicted interest. I mean, you know, is the customer? And you think that the whole the whole notion and spirit of real estate laws are to protect the public and real estate agents, realtors, we do like good ones. We were there to help our clients and we want to protect yep. them fiduciarily. Your, your interests are put ahead of mine. You may not right. believe that, but, but realistically, like I really want to help you. And it's not because we, you know, we were going to earn a commission from that it's because we actually care and, you know, we want to do a good job. And it's like, how can a large entity properly disclose everything and probably um, adhere to all of the specific laws, sans an agent. So, I mean, we'll see what happens, but there's so many variables in valuing a house or like, you know, an appraisal. And it's like, you know, the AVM models are not copacetic in my mind. I mean, there's, there's adjustments, you know, what are the features of the property? I mean... You There's know, so what, much what, that goes into it. There's so what's much. Wrong with, I mean, yeah, it's just that we're not even, and if, see, I see AI is used as kind of like, you know, value properties for like, you know, investors are like, oh, we can find you the best investment properties with our like AI technology. But I'm, I'm thinking ahead, I'm like, I'm not going to risk capital on this too. And if you look at certain companies, prospectuses, you can see how there's certain arms within their companies that they might be trying to flip houses. They're losing money. Yep. Like and as like a small being a business or entrepreneur, like I'm very cognizant of resources. Like I don't want to make a bad deal because I mean you can lose so much money so quickly. So I don't think real oh, estate like and that yeah that is Zillow's superpower by the way, and yeah. they are able to sustain negative cash flow almost indefinitely at this point. And yeah. and so that's really their superpower. But for you know the small guys and for the consumer, it's just it's not sustainable. But it's also not in the best interest of the consumer. So oh. that stuff you can't control. But I bring it up because most agents nowadays, it's at least in their minds whether they fear it or not. So I like to dispel that fear. And then the purpose of this podcast is to focus on the actions that real estate professionals, whether it be on the mortgage side or the real estate agent side, what actions can they take every single day to ensure their success in the industry. So my next question to you is, what's the single most important action that you take every day that has attributed most to your success? Uh, customer relations, just as we mentioned, you know, be the touch point for your client, develop that rapport, develop confidence in you. Why are they going to trust you or some large uh, system or company over your sources? And you think about that. It's like you've developed a trust, you've helped them, you've guided your way. And I would focus on specifically on prospecting and developing your client relations. Cause like, again, you know, if you read some of these memoirs, these bibliographies, a lot of these like very successful entrepreneurs, they're all about customer service. Whether it's the guy who developed, you know, Nike, reach shoe dog, or you read like Bezos, or like Walmart, Sam Walton, these guys really hit on customer service. And it's like, you know, it sounds cheeky, but it's true. So it's like, you want to be the go-to to your client. 
um, or even a prospect and give them confidence that they can be the person to call you, um, that you're confident, that you develop social proof with these individuals. And you convince them that you are the best person to help them guide them through this entire process. So it's the personalization. And that's where agents are really going to set themselves apart from these like large companies. And it's like, you know, Redfin, they have uh, agents on salaries. You buy a house at Redfin, you're going to speak to four different people. Right. You know, if you work, if you liaise with a, with a real or broker, you might deal with an agent and assistant. If you, if you want us to do hands off, we could arrange all the inspections, you know, the attorney, their title company to, you know, handle all the mortgage communication. We can make this as hands off as it needs to be. And again, you all have the confidence that it's all going to be met on the timeline. All the contractual dates are going to happen um, and everything's going to be done very smoothly. And as you know, each state has different laws and the contracts are very different. So how can we do that on a large macro scale and maintain that type of diligence, which is required? Because there's thousands of dollars on the line. I mean, whether it's the earnest money um, or the escrow deposit or even you know specific performance. And I think like you got to understand that like, this is like the largest purchase of an individual's life. And if people put yeah. their hearts yeah. in their house, it's like their grandparents raise their kids there. They're going to start a family. They just got married. They want to buy this house. So it's like, you got to respect like what a home is. And can you commercialize and commoditize this like, you know, successfully? I don't know because it's like, you got to think like the, take the heart into it. And then that's really where I think the agents can really set themselves apart. And even like the mortgage brokers and the loan officer, it's like, understand it. Like, you know, you're funding someone's house or you're refining someone that give them a cash out refi so they can send their kid to college. Like think of how cool that is. And it's like that, right. that personal touch is really going to set an individual um, or professional apart. So you talked a lot about the focus on the connection between yourself and your clients becoming an authority. But what did that look like broke it down into an action, you know, that others could listen to this and be like, oh, I can do that every day. Right. Is it five touches a day? Right. You make as many calls as you can to your past clients until you touch five. That would be like an action, right? A habit that you can install. So what does that look like for you? Well, as simple as remembering dates, birthdays. Remembering dates. Yeah. Holidays, kids' names. Hey, listen, always listen. Um, is someone graduating? Oh, I heard you. I remember your daughter's graduating. Did she win that ice skating competition? Oh, oh, oh. just like actually care. <laughs> right. Like that's really what you want to do. It's not saying, hey, do you know anyone that's going to whatever method, you know, I'm using a phone, whatever, however you communicate, hey, do you know anyone who wants to buy a house? Like that seems like kind of cliche, but like you want to like be a friend to them. And I, I become friends with a lot of my clients because it's like you're there through thick and thin, through their angst and then stress, through the brutality of the real estate transaction. But just be personable, listen, and make sure that you know them and you're familiar with them. But um, just be very personable um, and true and like, you know, lead with your heart about these things. Um, but I would say listen for dates. That's the most uh, I like consistent that. thing I would do. And it's so simple. That's all you have to do. Just remember date. I send Christmas cards out or whatever, I, holiday cards. So I don't want to, you know, do, do, you know, cross any barriers, but I'll, and I'll do things like that. But, um, you know, it's just being cognizant of, you know, your clients and paying attention or, oh, I heard you, uh, you guys like that some restaurant. Oh, do you want to meet up there? You know, have to have dinner or something just, you know, casually just be a friend to these people, um, your clients and, and, you know, it will, uh, it will show. I love that. And obviously it's working because if I read correctly, 93% of your clients refer. Is that right? It's up there. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that in a, another bio online. So what yeah. systems do you have in place to increase the amount of referrals that you're getting? Other than that, like, do you have some systems in place that just run automatically and they help to increase, stay top of mind, increase that, that awareness. And then also that call to action of 
you know, it's, it's nice to keep in touch as a friend, but you do at yeah. some point have to ask if you know anyone buying or selling a home, you know, or if you knew or a friend or family member was, would I be the agent you would refer kind of thing, like the Brian Buffini thing? Like, what are your systems that you're using? Yeah, different CRMs. Like I said, I have a ability to remember dates and things. Um, maybe that's just my, you know, psychology, so to speak. But um, it's primarily utilizing CRMs that will notify me for certain integral times and then reaching out. But in terms of like referral business and uh, how I refer all my clients, it's doing a great job, obviously. And then it's maintaining those touch points with the specific dates. And I use different, like I said, I have dates that are written down in the CRM. So it's like if I'm, you know, adding someone into uh, like, I use like Total Expert and it's cool. I make, I'll annotate certain dates and certain names and certain for certain kind of important elements so that it's not totally me trying to memorize everything. So it's like, if I queue someone up in a CRM, I know that their their children's names, I might know sports that they're playing. I might know like birthdays, things that nature, really, really important dates, but that's basically what I'm doing and it's developing rapport. So that's probably what the origin is of the, this referral business, which I've like developed basically. It's it's the inbound marketing combined with the genuine rapport that that I develop with these individuals and just you know being there for them. I've picked up someone, a client from a hospital before. I've yeah, I have a shoveled snow. It's weird. Like you have to be true. And I think that's probably what it is. It's just being cognizant of, you know, there's touch points and when and why to call. But ultimately, it's doing a good job and being a person. And don't be that standoffish guy. It's like, hey, I just want a commission check. You know, just, just you know, actually have some concern for people and realize we're all humans on this plane and we're trying to help each other. And that's fundamentally what you want to do is just realize you're helping someone guide them through a very challenging process that's probably on the magnitude of nothing that you've ever done. But I think that's to distill it, it's going to be the developing report inculcating it specifically. Boom. I love that. When it's when <laughs> sure it comes to the yeah, when it comes to lead generation, you know, what's your number one most profitable source other than referrals? Everyone, I mean, it's nice to get a lay down sale and it took you zero dollars other than your effort and your rapport and your connection with that person over the years and you doing a great job for them. It's, of course it's nice to get their brother's house, right? That's amazing. But what types of other lead generation sources other than referrals have been well, what's your number one most profitable? And then if you want to elaborate on some other things you're doing, that's fine too. Of course. Um, you know, like just, I might've mentioned, like I am all about inbound marketing. So okay. I have developed a very strong digital presence. So when you Google me um, or you Google certain strings um, or keywords that I have analyzed that I will, of relevance, I will then funnel them to landing pages get kicked into a CRM and then automatedly be, you know, solicited essentially, email lists, things of that nature. But, you know, my most successful strategy is going to be inbound marketing and then hitting uh, and advertising on the specific sites or platforms that are ranking highly. So if I'm looking in a market and I want to hack it, I'm going to go down to Washington. I've been work, looking at that market for a while and that's, that's got my sites recently. So Washington, DC real estate. Who's hitting up very quickly? What companies or what specific agents are ranking very highly? I will start to replicate what they're doing and start to integrate some of their techniques mm -hmm. and then apply it to my skill sets and my business model specifically. Success but, uh, leaves I, clues. It's true. You, you learn from the best. And I mean, hey, you know, it's, it's how it is. It's, it's out there. You know, it's like, or being, you know, back to sports. It's like, it's like, man, how did that guy throw that pitch? 
Like, that's a crazy curveball. It looked like he was going to hit me in the forehead, and I fell back. It's like, what was that guy doing? Did he twist his hand? Like, how can I figure out how to throw that curveball? Or um, right. how can I figure out how to, like, you know, throw the football or run faster? So it's like you got to, like, learn from your competitors and take their best skills and apply them to yourself. But, I, again, it's mostly just, you know, digital advertising. You know, not necessarily – sometimes PPC, but those are sort of top of the funnel. It's basically, like, where can I put my face – or one of my advertisements that are highly trafficked for specific users or specific websites that individuals are, are, are buying real estate on. Maybe it's Zillow, Trulia, or Move Inc. Um, or Homes.com. There's so many different ones. And it depends on the market, honestly. I'll look um, specifically where they are. I might try retargeting so that you know I can be the guy or the, my, their website or my websites. They can constantly see that I'm everywhere and I'm following them around the internet. You know, It could be social media advertising. I mean, it depends on the demographic too. You know, If I'm going to you know, if I'm going to market to some like uh, baby boomers, I'm probably going to look at Facebook and try to de- target that demographic. You know, you or I, I'm not really on that frequently. I mean, I, I do use it for, for real estate, but I'm not like posting stuff constantly. I might look at like, like Instagram. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm looking at newer platforms too, but you know, the, the Gen Z's aren't really in the buying market. So I'm not looking at like TikTok and other things yet, but I think in the future that might be irrelevant, but I agree. Uh, I look, yeah, it's just too young. I, I'm basically looking at the demographic. Yeah. It's way too young. I mean, I've played around on it, but I'm not posting photos or videos and things because I don't think it's relevant. I don't know anyone that's buying or selling houses at, at certain price points that's on TikTok. That's it for any consistency. Teenagers, that's great. Look at your funny videos, dance around, knock yourself. Uh, call me in 10 years when you have some money and you're out of college and you're ready to buy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Or 15. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And if you're listening to this podcast right now and you're like, man, all that sounds great and I really need that. Well, you know who to call. Steezy Digital. Get a free strategy <laughs> session because that's what we do, right? Michael is blessed enough to have grown up in the digital age alongside myself. So he's already implemented all this stuff for his brokerage. Hence why, you know, seven years into his real estate career, he's being interviewed on a top 1% real estate podcast. But if you're out there and you're interested in any of that, please reach out to us. This is what we do. I noticed three years ago that there were a lot of real estate brokers out there who had amazing interpersonal communication skills. They were money on the phone. They could crush a listing appointment, but they really struggled with all the digital stuff. And that's really what my agency focused on is ramping up everything that they did in person and installing all of the digital aspects done for them. They don't have to lift a finger and they can brokerages from 80 million a year to 100 million a year or 40 to 80, right? Because they had the great moving parts in place and the systems and the people. Now they just had to pour the gasoline on the fire. And so uh, you brought up so many good points and honestly, it, it... brought a smile to my face to hear you say all the things you said, because then I didn't even have to bring them up. right? <laughs> uh, but that is exactly the types of things that we do. So yeah, please reach out to me. You know, I offer a free strategy session for uh, anyone just to kick things off, add value and learn about your brokerage and see if it's a good fit. With that being said, we have a couple minutes left here on the podcast and I want to focus on, you know, any bad recommendations that you hear given to other real estate professionals. What's some bad advice you've heard? And you're like, oh man, I don't know about that. I would say bad advice to real estate brokers. I would say focus. You know, I I hear a lot of talk about digital marketing and, you know, you have to understand where you are in your business cycle. It's like, does it make sense necessarily for a new agent to 
have spend all kinds of money on digital marketing when they no. don't have super proof? No. I just talked to one this morning. He, yeah. he was messaging me just real quick story to prove your point. He said, I'm a brand new agent, just got my license. I want to do automated lead gen and follow up. I said, no, <laughs> you're not ready. Go no. do a couple of transactions with your friends and family. You have a gold mine in your contact list uh, throughout your lifetime that you've already developed. Go sell some homes and then call us or get me in touch with your broker. And maybe your broker can fund all of this while you're getting your feet wet, give you some buyer leads. But that was my response is like brand new agent reaching out like, oh yeah, digital marketing, da, da, da. No. So continue. Yeah, because like, can you even convert these leads? Do you know what to, exactly. to speak? I mean, like I said, when you pass this real estate exam, you don't know anything about real estate. Like it is no. step literally like one of a hundred. I mean, and I didn't know what I was doing. I figured it out, didn't make significant mistakes. Like, you know, luckily, you know, but you have to know where you are in the game because it's like, you know, the level of trust that's required and it goes back to the whole rapport and, you know, being a friend to your clients is like immense. And it's like, you know, they will, will lean on you for a myriad of different things. But, you know, if someone's so green and just was licensed and you're going to put all these ads everywhere, no one's going to buy from you. They don't even really understand who you are. And think about a doctor, like you're not necessarily going to see a resident right off. And I'm not comparing real estate brokers to doctors, but the, the analogy is very similar. It's like, you're not necessarily going to want to see the resident for something that's like bothering you. Like, nah, I want to go see your, like the surgeon or something. So you want to have someone like that's competent and has social proof. And it takes a long time to establish social proof. So, you know, I would tell agents, I was like, yeah, right. Tackle your sphere of influence. If you make it in this industry for the, for after five years, you're probably going to be okay. That doesn't mean you have to keep your eye on the ball and keep doubling down and grinding and grinding and grinding, but you need at least two years in the business before I would say, Hey, so let's start really over leveraging like digital marketing and things. Because, you know, there's a lot of companies out there that are really open to take all your money and you can spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars very quickly. And if those sales don't come in, you're going to be SOL and you're going to have a negative bank account. You might have over leveraged yourself and, you know, it's not going to put you in a position. I mean, and that's why I said I said no to him. I think it's an important thing to have a system for evaluating who and what to say no to. And if it's if my services are not going to give you a 5x, 10x, 20x return, and I can ascertain that based on your existing brokerage and my experience in this space, I'm not going to close you on something because it's not going to help you. I'm not the agency owner that's going to take a retainer for three months and you get zero ROI and you cancel. Well, you're ethical. Most of my clients have been with me for two, three years because when I came in, they had a great brokerage and I could knew that I could help. And I already had proven track record of success in systems they did not already have. And then when we marry those two things, boom, right? It works, but it doesn't just work for every single person, every single situation. And so what is your process for evaluating what to say no to? I I think it's so important and it's really overlooked. Do you have a process for that? You know, I, we're all probably similar and I receive random solicitations constantly. It depends on the time of day. I might hear them out. I'll ask for something to be sent to me via email, but you know, I'm a little, I guess we're a little bit different because we have like the marketing kind of background. So I'm not really seeking like, you know, an agency unless there's stuff that I just don't have time to do per se. But when I evaluate, you know, a sales pitch, I'm looking at it's like, am I already doing this already? Do I think this is logical based upon my experience and understanding? If so, could I execute it? What's the cost? What's calculate return on ad spend? 
you know, does it make sense to execute this campaign in this market? What do the numbers look like? Let's start like doing the numbers on this. Cause it's like, you have to run your, this as a business if you want to be successful. And that's another thing to the agent. It's like, you are running a business, form an LLC probably, or get, you know, attorney and tax advice, obviously, yeah. but you are ultimately running a business. And if you don't think that in your head and you think you're just an agent, you're never going to be successful. I mean, you might sell one or two houses a year. You could sell 50, you could sell 100, you can do 200 units. I mean, the sky's the limit. It's just, you got to scale this stuff and, you know, understand where you are um, within that space and then kind of, kind of run with it. But, um, you know, I, when I'm evaluating different companies and pitches and things, I'm looking, it's like, is it going to make my business better? Am I already doing it? Can I replicate it? And how much time is it going to take me? Because I've got some other websites and things I'm going to be redesigning. And it's like, I don't have time to do it. It's like, am I just going to outsource it and pay X dollars that, you know, I, invest in my company. Um, but that's what I'm looking for. It's just basically like, does it make economic business sense in this market? When I saw COVID hit, I reduced my ad spend by 40% because I was predicting like, you know, end of the world, people were going to stop buying houses. Oh yeah. I pulled back. I was like, I wanted to do even more. Most people did. Yeah, I was under yeah. contracts and I was like, I was like, I didn't even know what a force majeure was. I was freaking out because I'm like, I have all this because it was right before the spring and I've already put all my chips into that year. And I'm like, we're going to double down. This is going to be a great year. And then, then the quarantines, then the, the well, state shut down. Real estate. Yeah. My clients benefited from a lot of client, others like yourself pulling out because cost per lead cut in half. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was, my year was like down like maybe 10%. It wasn't significant, but it's like I had to, it wasn't like necessarily like reducing ad spend. It was like reallocating the resources. Cause so it's like, mm. why am I targeting buyers in this market when there's no inventory, when the real estate is shut down? Right. Maybe I should reorientate things to listings. Like that was what I was doing. Yeah. But I was panicking for a minute, but yeah, there are people that like, you don't want to just completely like pull and pull the plug on things. And I didn't do that com oh. completely. I, I was go like hybrid. I was like, kind of like, let me just feel what's going on a little bit. Let me like figure out really what's going on with the business cycle. Yeah. And jump into a different market. That was what I was really concerned about personally. There were a lot of calls between myself and my clients saying, look, I know your first instinct is to pause everything because yeah. it's natural. No one knows what's going to happen in the future, but here's the data. Internet usage is up 30%. People have way more time on their hands now. And guess what? All of our costs per lead on the existing campaigns have cut in half. Literally, mm -hmm. if you were previously generating $5 buyer leads, now they're $2.50. Oh, yeah. Don't you think we would leave that running? And the reason why is because all the competition just left the digital marketing platforms. So now it's like a blue ocean again. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Don't you think we should keep that going? Yes. And so all my clients kept it going and they, they did great all through. And then, you know, come May, June, a lot of the advertising came back online once people knew that, okay, this thing, it's not going to affect real estate. In fact, real estate exploded. <laughs> who would have um, thought? Yeah. Yeah. Like, who would have thought? It's crazy. Like, yeah, it's crazy. It Supply and demand. Yeah. yeah. yeah but, uh, but yeah. with that, I want to ask you another question. And this one allows you to open up a little bit. Is there a question I should have asked you before or would you like to expand on anything from earlier? I think we hit a bunch of key components, but I, I think like the audience, if it's like to other professionals, just figure out really what your objective is in business and double down on social proof. Um, read psychology books. There's great mm. literature out there. Um, Go ahead and suggest some. I like David Aglibly. I'm trying to think if there's anything sitting on my desk that's marketing related, but um, 
I would read like David Equivalent. He was an advertiser that was in the 20th century, which kind of innovated marketing. And he combined scientific advertising, basically measuring things with uh, part with human psychology. And that's really important. And it's like, how are we going to set your advertisements? Uh, how are we going to impress your advertisements uh, compared to someone else to an effective user or customer? And it's like, if they're looking at like an AB, it's like who, which one is more likely to trigger certain sales functions or how can we get that user to input their user or their email address uh, into your systems that you can then start developing a relationship? So I would look really to hone in on, on the marketing element and even the psychology and start reading and reading and reading and reading and also like biographies from from different individuals because all the information is out there for you to take like i said we're having a conversation i'm throwing out ideas you're throwing out ideas we're segwaying off each other and it's like this is how it works in business it's like people are very friendly they'll tell you what they're doing it's successful and it's like open your your eyes to what your competitors are doing and understand really the fundamentals of advertising and marketing and then just leverage that and take it, take it and run with it. But again, that presupposes you know what you're doing and you know which level of business you are and you can handle the volume. Because if all of a sudden you have 100 leads, how are you going to convert them? Do you have like an in-house service agent? That's Do you have right. someone like cold calling? It's like, cause it's like, you got to mine these leads. And it's like, that goes back to the touch points and developing the report. It doesn't happen. You go on a date with someone, you know, you got to, you got to feel it out. You got to develop the relationship with someone or you meet a client. First of all, you might have coffee, you know, Oh, where are you looking to buy a property? Okay, cool. Well, here's the whole area, you know, the data. Here's some of the market reports. Here's some properties. Maybe we'll check them out. Go get pre-approved. This is financing. So you got to kind of melt the whole totality of the process. But what I would just really emphasize is read the psychology of marketing because, you know, we're in a highly competitive space. Everyone has digital ads everywhere. And it's like, how can you make your ad different and really catch everyone? And a lot of it's emotion, it's sentiment, and it's triggering imagination. And a lot of that is discussed in literature. And you can really take that and run with it very far. I love that. Great suggestion. And uh, we'll try to link down to the book below here. Hey, how can listeners contact you? If you can spell my name, um, you could try Googling it. <laughs> but no, I'm all over the internet. I'm sure there'll be a link somewhere with my, my uh, you know, different socials or, or website. But I work uh, from Philly to DC. If anyone's seeking real estate services, just let me know. I'd be happy to help out. But uh, we'll, we'll leave we'll some referral partner, on there. Right? Yeah, referral partner is great too. But I um, mean, yeah, I'm all over the internet. If you Google me, millions of things will pop up. But like I said, the best way to reach me is send me an email. And then, you know, I do respond to everything. I read them, kind of how this, uh, it was interactive. We, we figured we found each other. Um, I'm always open-minded. I don't never turn anything down. I'm like, you always have to be open-minded. And that's another thing, everyone. Don't ever shortchange. Don't ever you know, negate something that someone tells you because there's value in everything you do in every interaction. And you can really develop mm. uh, strongly if you listen. And that's fundamentally what you have to do in sales and or business is listen. I love that. Hey, Michael Kelcheski did it right <laughs> awesome hey thank you so much for being on the show i'm uh really really grateful i think it was a phenomenal conversation and a lot of agents out there will benefit from it so i appreciate Welcome, you my friend yeah happy help you to help out all right take care take care thank you for listening if you want to accomplish your real estate goals then i highly suggest downloading my free ultimate real estate goal setting framework the link is in the description of the show and it will help you break down your annual income goal into the amount of phone calls, appointments, or open houses you need in order to achieve that goal. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.